One day a guy went ice fishing. He found a good spot by a lake, on a lake, sorry, near some other ice fishermen to be sociable, but not close enough to be annoying. He set up his gear, cut a hole in the ice, and dropped his line into the water. But after a few hours, he hadn't even got a single bite. Yet he noticed there was a kid nearby who had caught dozens of fish. He walked over to the kid and asked, Hey, what's your secret? The kid said, My motor meat, my mom's mom. The guy asked, What did you say? The kid answered, My motor meat, my mom's mom. The guy asked again, What? Then the kid spat into his hand and then said, You've got to keep the worms warm. Yeah, it's gross, isn't it? Sorry, I apologise. Uh, the pur- purpose of that stupid little story that I actually got in an email this week was there's a cost to success often, isn't there? In ice fishing, that, that's too, too high a cost. I think for most of us, we don't like fish that much, I don't think. But being successful in our lives doesn't come automatically or easily. Being successful requires commitment and it requires sacrifice and it requires discipline. And that was true of the Messiah. In his third servant song, Isaiah showed that no matter what it cost him, the Messiah was committed to being obedient, to being an obedient servant. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, right down to verse 9 uh, this morning. So Isaiah 50 and verse 4. This is the third servant song of Isaiah. The servant... The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat uh, them up. As we've seen in, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was looking forward to the mission and the ministry of Jesus. We've seen through this little series that, that Jesus is Emmanuel. That he is God with us. That he is the mighty God. Reigning on David's throne forever. 
That He is the branch reigning in righteousness. He is God's chosen one bringing justice to the nations. And last week we were realizing again how He is the light to the Gentiles bringing salvation to this world. But we've also seen that He is the perfect servant of the Lord. And that tells us that He didn't come to do what He wants, but to fulfill the plan and purpose of His Lord. And that's the emphasis of this, the third servant song. As we've seen before, the servant has a speaking ministry. He stated here that he knew the words that sustains the weary. He doesn't just present information. Jesus didn't just come to teach or to educate. The servant knows how to speak right into people's lives in a way that that helps the hurting. With words that lift up the weak. With words that encourage the exhausted. And that's because the servant speaks the very word of God. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. He has a tongue that has been taught by the Lord. So he can share the word of the Lord. When Jesus asked Peter, If he wanted to to leave him as so many others had done. Peter responded with these words. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like nobody else, Jesus spoke words of truth. And hope. And healing. And restoration. And life. Jesus' words can impact our life like nobody else's. But his words weren't his own. Jesus said this in John chapter 12. He said this, I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. The Father who sent me commanded what to, what to say and how to say it. As a perfect servant, Jesus came to speak God's words, to declare God's truth. And that's what we're called to do as well. Paul called Timothy, who was a young friend who was also working in a church in Ephesus, he called him to preach the word. Preach the word. The world doesn't need our ideas. The world doesn't need our opinions or our thoughts. This world needs God's truth. This world needs the Word of God. And so our ministry, whether we stand up in front and speak or whether we do it in in a personal way throughout the week, Our ministry must be totally grounded on the Bible. Because that's what the world needs. It is God's word that helps the, the weary. And that brings salvation to the sinner. 
Not anybody else's ideas, but simply God's word. So the servant spoke God's word to the people. But that was only possible because he first of all listened to God's word for himself. This is what Isaiah 50 verse 4 says. The Sovereign Lord wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. This is the discipline of the servant. He had a daily appointment with God to listen to his word, to allow it to teach his mind and to impact his heart. Before the servant became a teacher, he was a disciple. Before he spoke about God, he spent time listening to God. And this was a constant aspect of Jesus' life. Even at his busiest times in his life, even when he was surrounded by crowds of people who were desperate for his need, people who were desperate for healing or for help in their life. It says in Luke chapter 5, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He knew that he needed to spend time daily with the Father before he could spend time drawing people to the Father. I think sometimes many of us long for God to kind of zap us with the knowledge of his word. As if God could just suddenly infuse us with the the full knowledge of everything that God is and everything that God wants to do. But that's not the way that he usually works. If we want to know the Word of God, if we want to be able to share it with this hurting world, then we need to take the time to learn it. We need to take the time to read it. We need to be like the blessed man of Psalm 1 and 2 who says, it says about him that his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Daily, we need that discipline of reading God's Word, of studying it, of meditating on it, which simply means thinking about it seriously. Okay, it's not the Eastern form of meditation, of emptying your mind. It's the, the biblical form of meditation, which is reading God's Word and filling it with God's truth. And thinking it through again and again. And letting it sink down into our hearts. And into our minds. If we want to be able to speak God's word to other people, then first of all, we need to let it speak into our hearts. Day by day. Of course, we mustn't stop there. We also need to be willing to act on it. The nation of Israel, they had rejected God again and again and again. They were suffering defeat and exile because of their rebellion against God's commands. But still they refused to repent and turn to Him. But the servant, he eagerly obeyed whatever the Lord was asking him to do. This is verse 5. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears 
And I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. He didn't only listen to God's word and then share it with others. He also lived it out in his own life. This was the focus of of Jesus' life and ministry. He said this in John 4 to the woman or to his disciples when he was speaking after he was spo- had spoken to the woman at the well of Sychar he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work his whole life was characterized by obedience to his father that was his food It was his highest priority. It was his greatest passion. It was his deepest desire to live in obedience to his father. It wasn't reluctant. It wasn't a kind of forced obedience. Rather, it was willing obedience motivated by his passionate love for his father and his desire to please him in everything that he did. Later on in John chapter 14, he says this, The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. It was love for his Father that led him to obey his Father. And that's exactly what we are called to do. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we have put our trust in Jesus, then our lives are not our own. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus as he died on the cross for us. That's what we've just been celebrating in that beautiful time of communion together. Our responsibility then, our privilege then, is to honour God in every aspect of our lives. By obeying his word and living daily out his commands. But like Jesus, this mustn't be a a grudging obedience or a reluctant one. Neither should it be an obedience motivated by fear, like fear of punishment. If we don't obey, then, then we're going to suffer. Our salvation in Christ has set us free from fear. Instead, Jesus said, If you love me, You will obey what I command. Our obedience should be motivated by a passionate love for God. For the one who who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be brought into God's family and know that we're part of his family forever. Then out of that passionate love and a desire to honour him and glorify him in everything we do. We should have that desire to obey him daily in our lives, day by day. It is that passionate love for God that is a crucial part of our worship, as we were saying about in that song with the kids, that wow, worship of worth. It's our lives laid down in worship and obedience. But this doesn't mean that our obedience should be simple or easy. Obedience to God is always costly. It certainly was for the servant. 
We've seen hints about the servant, about what he was going to face, opposition and, and, and resistance throughout the book of Isaiah. But here we start to see, start to see the true cost of his ministry. Verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me. The nation of Israel, they were going through a period of suffering themselves. But that was as a result of their own sin. They had rebelled against God and they were suffering as a direct consequence of their sin and rebellion against God. But here the suffering of the servant is completely unmerited. It's undeserved. It's unfair. Because he had done nothing wrong to deserve this kind of violence and this brutality. And yet he accepted it. I offered my back to those who beat me. He didn't run from that shameful treatment. Verse 6, I did not hide my face from the mocking and spitting. He didn't try and escape the suffering that he'd done nothing to deserve. That's because he accepted this was part of God's will for his life. This was a necessary part of God's plan. And so he said, I have set my face like flint. Just means he was completely, totally committed to obeying his father. No matter what. And so even although Jesus knew what lay for him there, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem with a full knowledge of what would be involved there. The beating and the spitting and the shame and the crucifixion and the death. But nothing would budge him from his commitment to do this. To being where his father wanted him to be. And doing what his father wanted him to do. And so later in the garden, Gethsemane, Jesus prayed these amazing words. My Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Everything within him recoiled from the horror of what lay ahead for him. But he willingly accepted it. Because he knew that it was his Father's will. And as we'll see in this, the final servant song, this was also necessary for our salvation. And that's the kind of obedience that God is looking for in our lives. Nothing less than that. Yes, we know that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. God's plans for us are without doubt the best there could be. They are plans to bless us, to give us a sure and certain hope and a glorious future. But for now, God's plans include times of difficulty, times of struggle, even times of suffering. But God wants us to accept His will no matter what. 
He wants us to be like Peter when and the apostles, when after being threatened by the Sanhedrin, responded, we must obey God rather than men. God is looking for that total, wholehearted obedience to His will. No matter what the cost. No matter what that means in our life. But how can we do this? How can we stand strong like this in obedience? How can we be steadfast in the face of suffering, knowing our own kind of rebelliousness in our heart, and also knowing, in some ways, our cowardice, that we don't like that suffering, that we want to run away from it and get as far away from it as as far as we can? Well, this song reveals how the servant did this. The nation of Israel, they didn't depend on God. Because they really didn't believe that God could save them. That's why in verse 2 of this chapter, the Lord challenged them, Was my arm too short to ransom you? Do I lack the, the strength to rescue you? The nation had turned to other gods and other nations to help them when they should have believed that God could do this. But the servant, he was committed to obeying the Lord because he was confident that it's the sovereign Lord who helps me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. The servant knew that the Lord is sovereign over this world. That he is in control. And so he was willing to trust in his help. To depend on him to overcome even the most difficult of circumstances. And the greatest of all suffering. It's a recognition of who our God really is that helps us to trust in Him. He is the Sovereign Lord. There's nobody like Him. And so despite how things looked, the servant believed that He is near. In verse 8. In faith he believed in the Lord's presence with him. Even as he was going through that time of suffering. Even as he was enduring the spitting and the beating and the mocking and the shame. For not only did he believe that the Lord was with him, he also believed that the Lord was for him. He believed that the Lord is the one who vindicates me. In the face of the opposition and the mocking and the false accusation, the servant believed that in his perfect time, the sovereign Lord would give him the justice. That he needed. The sovereign Lord would declare his righteousness. And so the servant could confidently declare, I will not be disgraced. I will not be put to shame. It didn't matter who accused them or what charges they leveled against them. The servant was sure that ultimately his accusers would face judgment. And he would be honoured. And that's the confidence that we see Jesus express as he faced his accusers. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, 
He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In obedience, Jesus went to the cross, trusting that in his time, the Father would vindicate his Son. He left the whole issue in his Father's hands, knowing that he could trust in him. And this is the obedience that comes from faith to which we've been called. We can see that in verse 10 and 11 in this chapter because after this servant song there follows a challenge. A challenge to us. So let's read it together in verse 10 of Isaiah 50. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now all you who light fires and who provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your, your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you will receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. In the darkness of the difficult times that we all go through in our lives, some are tempted to be self-sufficient. They light fires, provide themselves with flaming torches. They refuse to depend on God and obey His Word. Instead, they assume that they can find the truth and wisdom within themselves and in their own resources. They try and do it themselves. But those who depend on that do-it-yourself approach, on those man-made ideas, will eventually realize that they cannot provide the light that they need. In choosing to reject God, they will find out ultimately that sadly they have rejected life. Because they will lie down in torment. The Bible is clear about the reality that if we reject God, the, the, the result of that is ultimately God will reject us. And hell will be the result. But we don't need to be among those who go that way. Instead we can follow the example of the servant. In the darkness of the struggle and the suffering of this world, we can trust in the name of the Lord. We can rely on our God. Like the servant, how he put his faith in the sovereign Lord, the one who is truly in control of this world, we can do the same. Because God has promised that he's always ready to help us, just as he helped the servant. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And our God is always near because He's promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And He has declared that if we have put our trust in Jesus, then we will be righteous in His sight for all eternity. And so who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. 
It is God who vindicates us. It is God who declares us righteous in His sight forever. And so even when we go through that valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear. We don't need to panic. We don't need to give up. Because we can continue to listen to God's voice and follow His commands. Because we can trust in Him.